This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Just going to come right out and say it. As a black man, I am exhausted. I'm exhausted because the killings of the 16th Street Baptist Four in Birmingham, the murder of the Emmanuel Nine in Charleston, and the slaughter of the Buffalo Ten in New York is all too common in the United States of America and I am exhausted. I'm exhausted because I keep seeing people make excuses for acts of terrorism committed by white people, yet spare no time in demonizing people of color, no matter how petty the crime is they commit. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted because I live in a country that has people in places of power and authority that believe they are entitled to that privilege and think they have a right to make decisions for other people. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of always feeling like every single day becomes a futile exercise in trying to prove my worth and my value to a people and a nation that could care less about me. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted because I'm sick of hearing white politicians and news heads talk about content of character when they have none. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted with all of the talk of guns and abortions and gender issues and critical race theory and replacement theory, Trump, Ted Cruz, Elon Musk, Facebook, and Johnny Depp. I am exhausted. I'm sick of Fox News, sick of CNN, sick of MSNBC, sick of Tucker Carlson, sick of Don Lemon, sick of Franklin Graham, sick of the Word Network, and I am sick of The View. I'm just exhausted. I'm sick of all those in our government that claim to be the party of Jesus, yet vote against a bill to support investigations into domestic terrorism, against a bill to crack down on oil and gas companies for price gouging, and against a bill to deliver resources just to get baby formula back on the shelves. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And I'm also sick of those others in government that can find billions of dollars for wars overseas, yet have difficulty canceling student loan debt. I'm just sick and tired, and I am exhausted. I'm sick of all of it, and I'm exhausted. Furthermore, I'm exhausted with everyone's useless thoughts and prayers, which mean absolutely nothing because you don't even pray. And none of these thoughts and prayers is going to stop the next white terrorist from killing more black people. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. 
There is nothing united in these United States of America other than their hatred for people of color that is exhibited day after day by people with political influence, power, and guns. And I don't think any reasonable, rational thinking person can look at the state of affairs in this country and not conclude that something is dreadfully wrong with this nation. Furthermore, I don't even think that any reasonable person, any reasonable thinking person can look at the state of affairs in this country and not conclude that people of color aren't being persecuted. I'm not sure if any of you feel the way that I do, but I can tell you that something needs to change and something needs to change quickly. I'm exhausted. The American government and its system of justice is oppressive, it is biased, it's exploitative, it is unbalanced, it is corrupt, it is entitled, it is racist, and it is demonic. Yet, yet, even as they face God's judgment, which we in the church know to be imminent because a nation divided against itself cannot stand, so we know judgment is imminent, they choose to double down and to take refuge in their idolatry with their flags and their guns. Brothers and sisters, open your eyes because something is dreadfully wrong with these divided states of America. And the killing in Buffalo and all the other killings and mass shootings are only symptoms of that cancerous condition. So what are we to do, Pastor? What are black people who are just as exhausted as I am to do about this sad and disastrous state of affairs. Well, what we have are the scriptures to guide us. And it's the reason why we had to run today to the text found in the book of Isaiah, the 41st chapter and the 8th through the 14th verses, which reads, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You, you will seek those who quarrel with you but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord, your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. In light of the massacre in Buffalo, I spent the better part of this week trying to figure out what God would have me tell his people. 
Yet while I know that we are all hurting and a comforting word might be appropriate, I, I also wrestle with the fact that many of us are, like me, very angry and a vengeful word might be what would feel most appropriate. But, but, but what God opened up was neither a word of comfort nor a word of vengeance, but instead an encouraging word of hope. So here is a truth and to which the prophet Isaiah would want us to learn. God intends to restore the shattered land and the shattered people so that he may bring a celebrating people back to himself. Listen, we do not study the Bible, church, just to gain information. We come to the scriptures to meet God. And if we truly want to know God, you and I must look into the word of God and listen to what God shares in his heart. We must look beyond the darkness of our today to catch a vision of that bright sunshine tomorrow. I know this sounds a bit anecdotal, but that's what the Lord said to offer to his people. So I will be speaking a message I've titled today quite simply, The Crimson Worm. The crimson worm. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, Lord, for revelation and for inspiration and also for aspiration. Father, we want better days to come, and we want them to come quickly. But, Lord, sometimes these better days come at a cost. And so, Father, inspire this preacher one more time to speak a message to a hurting people, even in the midst of his own hurt. Let not my anger be what people hear, but my heart and my passion. But most of all, let them hear you. So speak, Lord, for your children are listening. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text was written to address a time when the nation of Israel was in Babylonian captivity under the domination of a godless empire. And the Israelites had been complaining about their, their human frailty and what seems to be divine neglect from God. They were trying to figure out where is God in the midst of all of the stuff that is happening around us while they live in Babylonian captivity. You see, they were looking around and they were seeing a society that treated them with utter disdain and disrespect. They could not live in certain neighborhoods. They could not go to certain schools. Their children were treated as if they were adults, and their young men were often carted off to prison for very minor offenses, yet given extended prison terms. This is what was going on in Babylonian captivity. Their women were objectified and exploited, and even though they tried to live their own lives away from these godless Babylonians, they would still find themselves the victims of shootings and killings in their houses of worship and even in their supermarkets and grocery stores. So Isaiah wrote uh, as a way of encouraging the people to remember who their God was and that God never relaxes and is always watching over his people. They were not to take on the customs of the Babylonians by identifying with them in such a way that you wouldn't be able to tell the Israelites from the Babylonians. Now, I know you're hearing what I'm saying. Because very often we look in the church, we look a lot like the world. You can't tell the church from Babylon. 
Something is dreadfully wrong with these United States of America. Isaiah wanted the people to behave differently, to go about their lives differently and not do things the way the Babylonians did. Look what it says in verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its most remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. In other words, the Lord addresses Israel by telling them to remember their ancestors. Jacob was God's chosen one in preference to Esau. Remember, God also called Abraham his what? His friend. So God was saying to Israel at a time when they were facing dire persecution, remember who you are. Remember that you are descended from kings. Remember you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Remember that you are chosen by God. Remember that you are the apple of his eye. And most of all, remember the covenant. And today... I challenge all of us as black people, no matter where you are from in the world, remember our ancestors. Remember Toussaint de Louverture, how he led the Haitian Revolution. Remember Harriet Tubman, how she conducted the Underground Railroad. Remember Baptist preacher Paul Bogle and the Morant Bay Rebellion. Remember Marcus Garvey and his fight for black economic independence. Remember Nelson Mandela and his suffering against apartheid. And remember Rosa. So in the midst of all this persecution, remember who you are and from whence you have come. But as people of God, and I'm speaking to people, to God-fearing people of all size, shape, color, gender, you are repeatedly being urged to not be anxious and afraid, even though it is natural for us to feel afraid. Natural to feel anxious and afraid when you see mass killings by white supremacist terrorists. It's natural to feel anxious and afraid when you see constant shootings in our schools. It is natural to feel anxious and afraid when you have bomb threats against our HBCUs and our institutions of higher learning. It is, it is natural to feel anxious and afraid when you see nonstop police brutality and the killing of our young men. It is natural to feel anxious and afraid when you see a return to Jim Crow segregation, gerrymandering, and a reversal of our voting rights and attempts to overturn a legitimate election. It is natural to feel anxious and afraid. But God, who seems to be silent, in a time when our adversary seems to be so powerful and so strong, we must learn to trust in God's help. God can transform, brothers and sisters, any situation so that those who try to intimidate us and make us cower in fear and shame will find themselves cowering in shame and terror themselves. In fact, the text tells us that those who were once looming so large have vanished to the point that we will even be looking for them and wondering where did they all go? See, it says in verse 11, Behold, 
All those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but you will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word. So, so, so let all the gun-toting, confederate flag-carrying, white supremacist hypocrites say all that they want and do all that they want to do. They can harm the body, but they cannot harm the spirit. And our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Toussaint, Harriet, Martin, and Rosa is not asleep. And he will avenge the blood of everyone that was killed from Buffalo to Birmingham and from Calvary to Eden. But in the meantime, <laughs> and until such time, <laughs> what are we to do? Yes, God asks us to remember our ancestors and to remember from whence we came. Yes, God says not to fear because our enemies will be no more. But what are we to do in the meantime? This brings me to the focus point of our text. Look with me again at Isaiah, the 41st chapter, and the 13th through the 14th verse. It says, the 13th through the 14th verse, For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Clearly, from the text, the Lord upholds our right hand, which means that he will be the one that ensures that our goodness is preserved, even though others won't acknowledge it. I get that. And clearly the Lord will help us with our natural tendency to be fearful in the midst of all that we see. But he calls Jacob, the one he has chosen, a worm. This is a part of the text that puzzles me, church. He calls Jacob, the one he has chosen, a worm. Everything else I'm okay with in the text, except this reference to a worm. So why a worm? I don't know about you, but I've been called many things growing up in school. <laughs> but if someone were to call me a worm, I think that would probably be the most offensive thing I hear. A worm. You see, worms typically, they have this long cylindrical tube-like body. They are squishy. They have no limbs and no eyes. Worms are small and they are lowly. They are defenseless creatures with no spine and no backbone. And it seems that they are only useful to fill the tummies of other creatures. In other words, worms exist to make others live. Worms exist to make others live. <laughs> so God refers to this helpless, defenseless, exploited people 
as worms. People whose existence seems only to serve the interests of others. People who, who, whose labor could be exploited during slavery. People who play by the rules only to find out that those rules change every time they seem to be getting ahead. Yet though they are mere worms, a symbol of insignificance and dependency, the Lord God Almighty is on their side. Somehow God is pleased to use little Israel, a mere worm. Sadly, like Israel during their Babylonian captivity, African Americans in this country, and dare I say people of color all over the world, are no strangers to being seen as lowly worms. You see, lowly worms make up only 13% of the United States population, but make up 33% of those incarcerated. Lowly worms earn only 74% as much as the Babylonians earn. Lowly worms are more likely to die or have health complications while giving birth compared to Babylonian women. And during recessions, lowly worms are the first to be fired. And when things start picking up, they are the last to get hired. You see, you see but the scriptures encourage us to remember that it is a privilege to be a lowly worm. <laughs> it, it is a privilege because God cares for the brokenhearted, the forgotten, and the lost. God cares for the disenfranchised, the discarded, the destitute, and the discouraged. God cares for the lowly worm, and with God's help, this lowly little worm will one day become a force that can even move mountains. What you talked about, Pastor? All that sounds good, Pastor, but why should I believe that there is anything redemptive or any redemptive value or any benefit to being a lowly, squishy worm? What good is being a lowly little worm when all the while we keep getting stepped on, crushed, and shot? Is there anything good about being a lowly little worm? Well, well let's see. There is something very important that I want you all to consider and to know about the use of, of, of God's use of this imagery of a worm to describe his people. The Hebrew word translated worm as found in our text is the word tola. Say tola. 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 Now this word tola can be translated into two ways, either as worm or as scarlet material. In, in, as a matter of fact, in Lamentations, it's used, the same word tola is used to define fine scarlet clothing. But watch this. The particular tola or worm is usually identified, and it's going to get crazy, as the cocos illicis. That, that's just biological name. Which is an insect that was used in ancient times to make scarlet dye. Scarlet being the color red. When, the, when a female tola or scarlet worm, is ready to have babies or to give life, it permanently attaches itself to the trunk of a tree and lays its eggs. The, the, the insect then dies, and its death, and at its death, it turns into a crimson red, thereby staining the wood that it got attached to in this scarlet color. 
The dead bodies of these insects were then collected and the scarlet fluid was extracted from it which gives this brilliant dye which is used to color fabric and clothing. In the book of Exodus, forms of the word tola is used over 20 times, almost always in the sense of crimson or scarlet, meaning red. In fact, scarlet was one of the colors, if you recall, that was lining the curtain of the tabernacle as it separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And it's also this crimson, scarlet, red color that from this tola worm that is used to line the colors and the robes of the priests. In every case in the book of Exodus, scarlet is a symbol of the blood of the sacrifice. But more significantly than that, all of what I just told you is fascinating. But more significantly than that, than that is when you look in the 22nd Psalm, which is a messianic psalm, you hear the Lord Jesus Christ say these words, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. So, so just like the little crimson worm, Jesus, the Messiah, was deemed frail, lowly, and insignificant, yet made himself nothing, as we saw in the book of Philippians. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And like the little crimson worm, Jesus hung from a tree and stained the wood crimson and died giving life to others. But the text didn't end there. You see, remember, the little tola worm when it's ready to give birth and life, attaches itself to the wood. It dies, leaving the red stain on the wood, giving life. In the same way Jesus, attached to the tree, died and bled, staining the wood, but giving life to you and to me. But it didn't end there. The text tells us that wherefore, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Those are Jesus' words. So, <laughs> there is no other rock. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you heard, but here is what I want to leave in your spirits as we close this message. Have no fear of these people. You will one day see them no more. Why? Because the lion became a worm so that the worms would become 
lions. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.